This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. And I'm delighted to say we are joined by seasoned Manchester City podcaster, usually found on the main road ramble today, making his City Report debut, John Ashley. Hello, John, and welcome. Thanks, boys. Great to be here. No worries. Uh, In aid of your City Report debut, I've actually brought some quintessentially British snacks. So I've got a glass of um, a glass of a glass of Vimto, which is obviously from Manchester itself. Uh, an exiled Mancunian like yourself should uh, appreciate that. And I was just speaking before we came on air to Adam about the the joys of penguin biscuits. I assume you uh, you had a childhood filled with them, John. Yeah. Uh, in fact, most of my jokes probably come from the back of penguin <laughs> biscuits. <laughs> Well, I was t- I was telling Adam about the jokes, and uh, you didn't get the first one. So, Adam, you can have another go at this one on the back of a penguin biscuit for anyone who's mightily confused. There are little what you'd sort of affectionately call dad jokes. Um, so, Adam, give this one a go. How does a penguin build its house? For the benefit of the tape, there's two very confused men staring in the sky. How does a penguin build its house? Uh, very icily. I don't know. Oh, it's not bad. John, any ideas? I was going to go something like wing by wing or something like that. <laughs> no, that's miles very, off it. Very, very big um, house. That's miles off it. The actual answer, of course, is it 
igloos it together, oh, which is sort yeah. of the, the quality of humour we're going at here. Um, aside from that, Adam, a little birdie tells me that it's your birthday today. Now, I'm, I'm unfortunately, I haven't brought a cake, so I fully expect your agent post-pod to go on, start slandering me in the media. But yeah, a big happy birthday to you. Yeah, but thank you. Before you know it, I'll be putting a curse on you for that. So Yeah, yeah. Maybe next time you can have a cake if you've not done one uh, before that. Right, um, John, as you are here, obviously, Exiled Mancunian, like I said, now living in the States, I wanted to allow us two, Adam, you can join in, of course, as well, but, but mainly us two to sort of self-indulge for a moment because we both grew up in schools. We were chatting a bit about this uh, this week. We grew up in schools dominated by United supporters. I was one of two City fans in the class. I believe you were one of one. So I can imagine your sort of the, the reaction you've had to the chaos taking place down the road at Old Trafford has been measured and uh, really kind towards our our noisy neighbours. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been a pillar of strength for those guys in these. <laughs> you know, I think the phrase that I saw someone, maybe it's a supporters group, use was "rock bottom." Yeah. It's like, yes, your your bottom of the Premier League. That if that's what you consider rock bottom to be, we have we have news for you, mate. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It yeah, was it was bizarre, enjoyable. wasn't it? Some of the reactions that that we've seen from the United end. Adam, this is obviously a City podcast, so we won't spend too long speak about uh, a United as much as 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 much as it entertains the listeners, no doubt, but. What did you make of the news coming out of the States this morning that none other than Mr. Elon Musk is the latest person to throw his hat into the ring of, of purchasing United? Now, they're a, they're a club in chaos, and I can imagine him going in there wouldn't make it much better. Well, I'd start by saying I feel like the Premier League has probably got uh, enough evil people owning clubs, <laughs> and we don't need another very evil person. Um but if we know anything about Elon Musk, it's that his attempts to buy very large corporations don't often go very well. So mm. I wouldn't be too worried if I was a United fan. Yeah, yeah. What a, what a peculiar man. Um, right, okay, we'll crack on with today's show then. Um, we recorded, uh, Adam and I recorded earlier in the week, so if you've not listened to that, go and listen to that after this. It was mainly a Bournemouth review, but we had a, a good half an hour or so sort of really digging into Barcelona and the crisis they're going through. We'll touch on that again in a little bit with, with the news coming out that Bernardo Silva is expected to say City. But today we'll be looking at City's clash with Newcastle on Sunday afternoon, having a chat about what we think might go down in the northeast. But we'll start by reviewing City's transfer window. Now, as we alluded to on Tuesday's episode, like I said, Sergio Gomez, the latest and probably the final arrival for City this summer. Really, really dynamic player arriving from Anderlecht. Has the Vincent Company seal of approval, which is superb as well. He joins Erling Haaland, Stefan Ortega, Calvin Phillips and Julian Alvarez as those arriving in East Manchester this summer. John, you can kick it off. How have you evaluated City's business in the transfer window this summer? I think it is... It's definitely the best transfer window since 2017-18. Yeah. Um in you know that 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 window included the likes of Walker and Bernardo Silva, uh, Edison, um a couple of others as well, I think. And it might even be City's best transfer window ever in terms of mm. being you know when you factor in both outgoings and and especially incomings. Um you know there will be 
still a lot of talk about left backs. Um, <laughs> that was definitely one of the positions that was was identified at the start of the uh, at the transfer with the summer. Um, but I'm just I don't know. I I don't get that worried about left back personally because I think it has always been the position that that City have kind of just made done with, mm. um, and. With the rest of the the transfers that we've made, I I think we have we have a much more well rounded squad than we had yeah. this time last year, and I'm you know delighted with that personally. Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. You mentioned the the left back conundrum, the eternal left back conundrum. There, how city is it that they have finally purchased a, a sort of quote unquote left back? But he's a lad who grew up playing centre attacking midfield. He's anything but a left back. He's wearing the number twenty one shirt. I mean, it, it's not exactly conventional, is it, Adam? Um, we've mentioned a number of times about how this has been a very uncity like summer in terms of incomings. We've got used to sort of two or three signings filling the gaps of players who are either not good enough or, or more frequently in, in recent years have retired. It feels like this summer has been a byproduct, though, doesn't it, of the last two transfer windows where there just hasn't been a lot of cash available for teams in the Premier League in Europe. And that's why we've seen uh, at City, anyway, a lot of the outgoings. So the movement has been more regular. But do you do you sort of subscribe to that idea John's put forward that it, it could even be City's best transfer window of all time, or at least probably the best in, in the Pep era. It's certainly been an extremely successful window. And I think this kind of major upheaval, which for City, this is a major upheaval. Um, I think that's been kind of bubbling under the surface for a few years now. I mean, I think it was the summer of 2021 in which Pep came out and said that there was six first team players mm. that had you know asked to go or express their interest in leaving the club. Um, obviously, Bernardo Silva being one of those, Imeric Laporte being one of those, and you'd have to imagine that a few of the players that left this summer, like Sinchenko, Jesus, Sterling, were probably you know in and around that list as well, just due to the fact that they weren't playing as much. Um, but look, the area of the pitch that needed quality signings. Got it. Uh, which two strikers come in, a new defensive midfielder comes in to replace uh, Fernandinho. And the outgoings were fine with me. You know, like if, if these players want to go, they want to go. And I'm perfectly mm. happy with the money that City received for them. Um, if we felt like we got really shortchanged for a bunch of extremely good players, I mean, you already see the impact that both Zinchenko and Jesus are having at Arsenal. Um, Sterling, not so much at Chelsea yet, but Chelsea also in general haven't really hit the ground running. Um, Mm. But yeah, I mean, you know, on top of that, selling a lot of academy products that weren't going to get into the first team anytime soon and receiving huge fees for them. I think we have either recently hit or are closing closing in on the record for the most transfer sales in in one window. Um, So yeah, I would say it's been an extremely successful window. And so far, it seems like the team has gotten better and City made a ton of money. So you can't really complain about that. Yeah, most transfer sales in one window, you'll never sing that. Um, sticking with you then, Adam, um, out of 10, I mean, it's not the most insightful way of providing analysis given a rating out of 10, but but what would you give City's window, all things considered, Adam, out of 10 so far? I would give it an 8, and the only reason that it's not a 10 is I think the window that John mentioned in 2017, and I'll combine the January window of that year with it in which Laporte 
Danilo, Kyle Walker, Ederson, Bernardo Silva, Leroy Sané, and I think maybe that's it. And that was at a time in which City truly had two 11s that were Mm, extremely, extremely good. And probably the second 11, quote unquote, probably was a top four team in the Premier League. Um, Whereas obviously there's, you know, the, the kind of rumblings right now that the squad is maybe a little bit thin. I think that's the only issue for me is that the numbers didn't get bulked up in any way. Um, Mm. And there's a few positions where I'm a bit worried about a little mini injury crisis being much bigger than it needed to be if we didn't have such a thin squad. So I'll give it an eight. Yeah, I think I think that's the issue for me. I was thinking on Saturday at the Bournemouth game when the the substitutions were starting to roll in, and you're thinking, bloody hell, City have quite a lot of depth here, probably more than you realise. But it's as we all too well know, when the season goes deep and the injuries start to come, that that the issues with City sort of thinner squad start to show. Um, and yourself, then, John, out of ten, nice and simple. What would you give City's window? Um, I'm going to give it a nine. Um, and the reason it, it, it's the context as well, because mm. I think we've set ourselves up. I think the January transfer window post World Cup is going to be the most unusual January transfer mm. window that we've seen. And so, so I think City are maybe looking to that and, and thinking we'll probably do more business than we usually do there, as will everybody else. So if you kind of see it as a the first half of the season transfer window, I think we've got enough squad depth for the 20 games that we have to play. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't even once considered the fact that uh, the January transfer window could be this sort of chaotic hellscape considering post-World Cup. Usually those players who come through World Cup and the bag themselves and move from a sort of medium team in Europe and put themselves in the shot window. Um, I hadn't even considered that at all. Um, Adam, then, when when you sort of think about the news that dropped today and, and it's almost as close to being set in stone as, as, as can be before, before that window shuts, and that's obviously Bernardo Silva, reportedly happy to stick around at City for whatever reason. We covered it a lot on Tuesday's episode. Barcelona don't have the finances available. City have a high valuation. Whatever the reason is, he's going to be staying, it looks like. It's difficult to argue with that high score, of course. And, and you know, we expected him to stay given the situation Barcelona are in. But even still, having that seal of approval feels really, really good, doesn't it? And it's superb news that the Portuguese maestro is going to be sticking around for at least another season. You feel like this is probably the last one, if we're being honest. Yeah, it's superb news. And I, th- I think it's um, a much less stressful way to see this, this situation fizzle out instead of having to go all the way down to midnight on the transfer deadline, which it felt like maybe this had mm. had, had the chance to do that. Um, it's interesting because we talked last or on Monday about Ilkay Gundogan's kind of bumped up role so far this season, um, whether or not that's a byproduct of the Silva-Barcelona saga. Um, and we obviously saw Bernardo start the first two Premier League games on the bench. Um, but in that time, Gundogan has made himself you know, a key player already and, and feels almost undroppable. So it's, it's interesting to see if Bernardo Silva comes straight back into the team mm. um, with the news that he's staying. And um, I think we probably will still see him kind of drip fed into the team until the transfer window ends, just because a journalist comes out and says that a player is staying doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that they are. Um, so, 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this situation pans out. I don't think it's necessarily over. I think it's it's highly, highly, highly likely that he is staying just based on the reports. But I think the situation of him maybe not starting games right away um, might still still kind of carry on for a bit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, until September the 1st comes along, then nobody's going to know where he ends up because that, that that's going to linger as it has done for the last uh, two seasons or so. But it, it's been a quick turnaround, hasn't it, John? Because I was at the stadium on Saturday and I, I made a, when the full-time whistle hit, I made an effort to sort of stay behind that extra five, six minutes just to see what Bernardo Silva's reaction was going to be like. And if I'm being honest, it, it felt like the worst case scenario. He was the last man mm-hmm. off the pitch. He, he sprinted about 50 or 60 yards to give his shirt away to, I, I presume, a kid in the crowd. I couldn't see. It was op- opposite end of the stadium. But it felt as if it was goodbye. Now, he did that post on Twitter the day after saying, you know, thank you for the memories, thank you for the support, etc., etc. And it felt as if it, it was going to be another one of those cases we've seen all summer. Barcelona find some way to splurge 80 million on another player and, and the, the uh, how they're doing it, who knows. But it looks as if it was heading that way. Now, we sit here today, what, on the 17th of August, two weeks left of the window. City look to be keeping in and, and it feels like it's as good as a new sign-in keeping hold of, of a player like Bernardo Silva. Yeah, absolutely. We, we had a bit more intel after the game on Saturday, uh, one of our podcasters on the Ramble, um, Jed Deegan, flies in from Dublin for every weekend home game. Um, and he was at Manchester Airport and saw uh, Cancelo along with Bernardo and Rodri getting mm. on a, a flight uh, somewhere. So we were like, oh, is that does that mean he's going straight to, to Barcelona to mm. like finish his deal? Or if he's going on vacation, then... That's actually potentially a good sign that he's, you know, not expecting anything to happen. Um, yeah, but he definitely is, you know, li- like a new signing, but better because he's already bedded in. He 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 is kind of the metronome of, of, mm. of the team in terms of the he sets the pace um, and the the tempo and the the shape of the team when he when he's in the, when he's in the side. Um, might not be the, a terrible idea to tell him the wrong time for the flight when City go to Barcelona next week. <laughs> Just like accidentally leave him yeah. behind. Um, yeah. Give him a few days off to move house if that's what he's doing. Just mm. to kind of doubly make sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it, I'm delighted that he's staying. And I think, you know, his energy levels, he talks about like a small squad. His, his energy levels are as good as two men, mm. pretty much. So, uh, and he's so versatile as well. Um, and to, to Adam's point about you know, is he going to be able to display, displace Gundogan? Possibly not. I could see, we might get to Newcastle later, but I, I could see a, a midfield three of Rodri, Bernardo and Gundogan at St. James's oh, wow. starting this weekend. Um, wow, bold shout, bold shout, yeah. Um, it, I'm glad you brought that up about Bernardo Silva's versatility because another sort of indicator that this deal might be going cold with Barcelona is the fact someone like Matthias Nunes is is Wolves bound and you know he's certainly someone who was linked with with City as a replacement and if those wheels start moving in the opposite direction then you feel as if right okay then City are sort of confident of keeping hold of him and, and it's it's crazy because if you were never to have watched Bernardo Silva in your life and you stick a, a 90 minutes game on and, and especially from last season and watch the way he plays, you won't be able to decipher whether or not he was a number six or a number eight or a number 10 or even a wide man at times. He just does cover so much of the pitch and, and, and you're absolutely spot on. He is as good as two players. Um, 
yeah, Adam, quickly, that, that Barcelona friendly, which is coming up next week, we'll speak about it uh, a little bit later on uh, in terms of the episode next week. But do you lock Bernardo Silva in a room? Do you just not let him go? Because that, that could be really weird, couldn't it? If he pulls on the, the shirt and he, he's on the, the new camp pitch, but it isn't the sort of team everyone expected him to be playing for this summer. I wouldn't say it doesn't have me worried him going there and maybe, <laughs> you know, sitting in a nice cafe and looking around and saying, yeah. this is, this is nice actually. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that's how Aubameyang signed for them last January. <laughs> he he went on a family trip and then just ended up staying forever. So yeah, did go back. Yeah. Yeah. I would, um, I would certainly not be, I'd be giving him the wrong boarding pass or, or shredding his passport or hiding his passport. I guess we'd need him in Europe later on in the season, but I would be yeah. hiding his passport for now, yeah. Yeah, we, we, Bernardo Silva claiming asylum in Catalonia is something that I could definitely see happening. Um, right, okay, we'll move on. I know you mentioned this a little bit before, Adam, but let's speak about those outgoings to sort of wrap up this transfer talk. Now, I so Sterling, Jesus, Sinchenko were the three major departures, and and the re- reasoning behind those departures were were all different, but also kind of the same as well. All three have started the season well enough to some different degrees, but but Adam, for you, are, are there any players or any regrets there surrounding those players? You still think City were wrong to let go, or, or for you, as that ship completely sailed, perfect window for departures, perfect window for incomings, or as close to perfect. I wouldn't say that I would have any regrets about any of them leaving. The one thing that is a lingering what if for me is Erling Holland coming in and what that possibly would have done for Raheem Sterling. Um, mm. I think for me, it's no coincidence that Raheem Sterling's dip in form coincided with City's um, move away from using a central number nine. Um, mm. You know, I think for me, uh, up until. <laughs> maybe this season, the best front three we've seen in the modern era is the Leroy Sané, Raheem Sterling, Sergio Aguero front three. And obviously that was Sterling out on the right and, and being able to link up with, um, with Sergio Aguero. And he was probably at his peak at that time. Um, so I would have loved to have seen that. And the fact that he's gone to Chelsea and is now playing, you know, behind a, a false nine in Kai Havertz. And mm. it feels like deja vu with him in which we're not really going to get to see the best Raheem Sterling, maybe until he plays for England and has Harry Kane alongside him. So I think for me, that's one thing I would have liked to have seen. And it felt like it could have worked out. He had one year left on his deal. You know, give it a go. See if we can get you back in the team with Erling and blah, 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 blah. Um, but other than that, I don't think City are necessarily worse off. I think just from a personal standpoint, I would have liked to have seen that happen. Yeah, yeah. For me, I'm at two opposite ends of the spectrum with the the Gabriel Jesus and the the Raheem Sterling moves. For for Jesus, it's like seeing an adopted son sort of fly the nest and not necessarily go on to bigger and better things in terms of Arsenal are, are sort of obviously not in the same bracket as City, but go and be that main guy. Go and get the adulation you deserve because even though his performances for me haven't exactly changed between a City shirt and an Arsenal shirt, the fact he is in a squad with with not as much quality, he does shine through and, and he's certainly getting the flowers for his performances but with Sterling it's a little bit different like you mentioned there Adam the, the what if Erling Haaland was there you feel like it would have complemented his play style a lot um, you know I still absolutely adore the kid he, he's got a special special place in my heart but 
that move to Chelsea and the club and what they represent and the issue in what was it 2018-19 with the racism and, and fair enough you you implore a player like that to go back to where something like that happened and say you know what I'll show you with my talent as opposed to with, with words off the pitch but still there's something behind that move that I just feel a bit like Mm, it doesn't necessarily sit right with me. I don't know about you, John. Are there any regrets from those sort of free departures? I mean, Zinchenko's hit the ground running, and and when we mention squad depth, if there's any if there's any player in world football you want in your squad for a, a World Cup year with mid-season World Cup, it's probably Zinchenko. And I don't know if City will will come to regret regret that one later down the line. Yeah, for me, Zinchenko is definitely the one that we we should have kept, I think. Mm. Um, I think with Jesus and Sterling, I can completely understand that as attackers and goal scorers in a World Cup year where their positions are pretty loaded in their respective national teams, that they want to be getting game time. They want to make sure that... Um, not necessarily. I think they'd both have made their squads had they stayed at City. But I think, you know, if, if Gabriel Jesus continues as he started at Arsenal, it's going to be very difficult for Brazil not to start him yeah. in the World yeah. Cup. Um, Sterling, kind of similar. Um, although you look at the competition for him and and the competition isn't performing um, in terms of obviously Kane is going to be starting for England but you've then got kind of Rashford no Calvert-Lewin mm. injured mm. Uh, Sancho not performing um, Foden hopefully will uh, be fit this time um, but so he's got more of a chance but even still there's always people who who kind of break through I just think about Theo Walcott 2006 just having never played a game yeah. Southampton yeah. Uh, and Sven just being like yeah let's take him Mm. Um, not yeah, Spain. yeah. Was it Sven? Yeah, it would have been 2006. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Portugal defeat. That that was a, a very upsetting day for a young a young Amos. Uh, I have to say. Uh, but but you know you you absolutely spot on. There, there is there are places up for grabs, and even with Raheem Sterling though and Gareth Southgate for as long as he's at the helm, his place in the England squad is for me as good as untouchable. Really, isn't it? You know, mm. he's he's his record for, for England, be that in qualifiers or even tournaments, especially Euro 2020, 2021, whatever it was, um, was, was exceptional. So it, it, there is there is a bit like, mm, I'm not too sure. We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. But, but I do feel as though it could be much of the same for Sterling at Chelsea, especially without that recognised striker. Um, let's move on to Newcastle then, obviously. City's third game of the season, second away trip following the opening day win at West Ham. And it's a visit to the the new kids on the sugar daddy block in in Newcastle, and um, one win, one draw for the Magpies so far. Much like City as well, they're they're yet to concede in the league. Historically, then Adam, this has been a profitable fixture for City in years gone by, but this is a completely different entity in terms of Newcastle. We're speaking about, and I don't know about you. I'm you're going to give me your your uh, your thoughts in a moment, but. I expect a really tough and challenging um, match on Sunday afternoon. It certainly will be tougher than the last few times we've gone there. Um, you know, they're a whole new club since the since the takeover, and they've gone really. They, I think they've gone about it really well. The way they've come in and and started to build the team, and they're not building it 
quickly. They're building a mm. really good foundation. You know, signings like Trippier, Dan Byrne, Bruno Gumarish, uh, Callum Wilson. You know, there's a combination of of quality that they've brought in from other leagues and, and Premier League experience. Um, you know, we've seen they're they're closing in on signing Joao Pedro from Watford, another young player who looked really good in spells last season. Um, and look, City will definitely go there brimming with confidence, two wins in two games. Um, but this is a totally new look Newcastle side. I mean, City have won the last five games against Newcastle by a combined score of 20 to three. Um, <laughs> that doesn't mean Newcastle won't threaten. Um, obviously, they have a few weapons. Callum Wilson can finish on his day. Um, Alan St. Maximin is, is electric on his day. But with the way that City have started this season, um, it almost feels like they're already in the <clears throat> mid-season robotic mode in which it doesn't really matter what's thrown in their way. They'll just kind of find a way to to either suffer through it or just control a game till till it's dead. Um, yeah. So I'm I would be going there with supreme confidence, and um, I'd be going into any game with supreme confidence right now until something gives me a reason not to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned City's record there. In terms of their their record at St James's Park, it, it's one defeat since two thousand and five for City. And as we mentioned, um, sorry, as Adam mentioned there, John, it's unlikely to be a, a simple afternoon, but but one that City should definitely prevail, considering the fact that the, the talent and the quality that's been on show so far. But in, in terms of Newcastle, what have you made of their start to the season? Because obviously, the increased wealth as City all too well know comes with increased expectation. But okay. Nil nil at the Amex on Saturday afternoon is is probably frustrating, but it's a considering what you, what Brighton did to to Manchester United, it, it's definitely a, a good point. Uh, bigger clubs will probably go there and, and suffer suffer worse results, and they seem to have responded to the expectation quite well so far. Yeah, I think especially when you know they, they haven't made kind of the kinds of bids even uh, that, that City were, were looking mm. to do when the, the, the takeover first happened. They, they've almost probably looked at City and been like, okay, we don't want to, you know, make all these purchases uh, and then struggle to sell these players in three or four years, which is what kind of happened with City um, early on. And I think, you know, they've also made a, a really sensible and astute managerial appointment in... Um, Eddie Howe, uh, I think he is a, a fantastic coach, uh, which it's, it's easy to, to kind of, you know, if you look at their previous managers, uh, you're Steve Bruce, you're, you're Rafa Benitez, um, good managers, but I don't think that either of them would be doing nearly as well with this squad as Eddie Howe has done. Um, and so I think his new ideas um, and his, the, the, you know, the style of football that he plays is really entertaining for Newcastle fans as well. And the fact that they're kind of keeping clean sheets, uh, that's the most surprising thing for me. I thought they'd be a lot more open Mm. than they were. Yeah, yeah. I'd be interested, Adam, to see, or sorry, hear your opinion on Eddie Howe, because I think growing up in England, when when he sort of burst onto the scene with, Bournemouth, even going back when he was at Portsmouth and Burnley and, and places like that, he's always been this man who's sort of had the cloud of England management hanging over his head. But he's also been a manager at the time when uh, club management and international management have sort of been going in opposite directions. And now we're at the case where club management is much more prestigious than 
international management. And I think it's a reason why I know we'll do a lot of World Cup chat in the next few weeks. But it, for me, it's a reason why Gareth Southgate isn't in club management because he's not a good enough manager to be a club manager, but he's an international manager and because that's that's sort of where it's like that middle bracket now. But Eddie Howe has been a, a really sort of uh, a well thought of coach. It didn't work out or it didn't end as well as he would have liked at Bournemouth. But then obviously he's taken the job at Newcastle and you think about what that club can be capable of with a man like him, a, a sort of hungry coach. It seems like a really good fit. Yeah. And I mean, when a club like Newcastle, you know, gives you a ring and says, we've got a shit ton of money and we'd like to spend it all on a squad that you can lead. I mean, that's not something that um, that you'd want to turn down. You know, it's a, it's a huge club, obviously. Mm. So yeah, he's a fantastic manager. It's a weird one, kind of how long it seems like he was without a job, you know, it felt Mm. like when things went stale at Bournemouth, which, you know, let's be honest, they're a really, really small club for this level and Mm. the things that he did with that club to, to take them from, I want to say league one, maybe even lower than that all the way even lower yeah, yeah even lower all the all the way up to the premier league keep them there for a few years and there were a few years in which they weren't even in like nasty relegation scraps they were you know uh, i wouldn't say a mid table team but they were comfortably a premier league team for a few seasons mm. um i was really surprised that the day he left bournemouth he wasn't snatched up by another premier league club or at least a championship club with big ambition, you know, like a forest or, or somebody like that, that was, was looking to get back to the top. Um, yeah, he's a fantastic manager and they're a really great team to watch. And, and, you know, some of the things that he's done, like moving Joel Linton into midfield and, and now Joel Linton is a fantastic like box to box midfielder. I don't think anybody saw that coming when they, when they signed him for 40 odd million to, to be a Brazilian striker in the Premier League, we thought we thought we'd uh, have a different story there. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, from a city point of view, am going into this game with supreme confidence. But um, if Newcastle were to get a result, or it's a really really difficult outing for City, I wouldn't be too surprised. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I'm just looking at Bournemouth's season history and going back to 2008-09. Now, I'm not too sure if Eddie Howe was playing at this point for Bournemouth or or he was elsewhere, but they finished 21st in League Two, which for for other so, so, to to translate that, it's the last place in the football league. Oh no, sorry, the second to last place in the football league that doesn't see you get relegated to non-league. So I'm pretty sure in saying as well that was a final day of the season job that they sort of escaped relegation into the wilderness of non-league, and then since then sort of rise through the the leagues and obviously back in the Premier League right now. And, and in no small part is that down to uh, Eddie Howe and the legacies built at that club. But in terms of Newcastle, then we'll move on to. City very shortly, John, but in terms of Newcastle, sort of away from this game, because I think it's really interesting the parallel you you drew up about there, the the way they've been operating with the new money and the way City operated and how the, the sort of stark difference is. What do you expect from them this season? Because I think my biggest sort of, that my coldest take for this new season was that the top six would be the big six. Now, United have done a very good job of proving me wrong after two games and, and maybe me having to rethink that. So potentially the, the, the top five could be the big five, excluding United. Um there's a gap there, isn't there, really, for them to push on? And, and European football, I don't think, is is out of the question for Newcastle if they can maintain this good start. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's weird. You, you mentioned European football there and, you know, the likes of, of West Ham, for example, um, who mm. also haven't got a point on the board yet this season. Um, I think th- their involvement in European football is going to ha- going to hurt their Premier mm, League chances. Yeah. Um, you know, like United playing in, in the Europa League, that could... Uh, or is they in the Europa or is it Conference League? Yeah, in the Europa, just about. Uh, yeah, just about. Yeah. Um, I mean, that could that could affect their chances of staying up. But the... I, I think with, with Newcastle, because they don't have any European commitments, they can, you know, focus entirely on, on the league. Wouldn't be surprised to see them kind of bow out of the of the Carabao Cup hmm. pretty early. Hmm. Either that or they might even really go for it in the yeah, Carabao. Yeah. I think there's no, there isn't really an in-between there. They could see it as like, this is a trophy we can win um, and, and kind of go from there. But I, I would be surprised if they didn't finish top eight. I'd be really surprised. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It feels that yeah. way, doesn't it? That looking yeah. at the quality and looking at the way teams have started, you would you would assume, especially with that World Cup in the middle of the season, if they're there in that top half, come the the mid season break, then they'd have every chance of um, of fingering of of making that that position their own. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Turning towards the the game then on Sunday. One of the battles I can't wait to see, and it's a little bit of a weird one, but Erling Haaland versus Nick Pope. You mentioned before, Adam, the, the recruitment of Newcastle and how sort of shrewd it's been and, and the fact they've they've nitpicked players from teams around them as opposed to going for the sort of the jugular with the, I don't know, £400,000 a week signing of some Real Madrid off-cast or something like that. He's been, or at least he could be, one of the signings of the season and it might be for Erling Haaland his first, obviously he didn't score on Saturday against Bournemouth but the the chances were limited but for me it might be his real first test of of English football with a, a quality goalkeeper and one who in Nick Pope could be pushing for an England starting position at the World Cup if he has a, a decent enough start to the season. See, for me, it's the battle with him and Dan Byrne that I'm most looking forward to because oh, yeah, Dan Byrne is a brute. Um, and yeah. he, he's, I think it was in a game against City last year where he had a couple dirty tricks in his locker as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you look at who City have played so far, West Ham had basically no center backs on the day. Um, mm-hmm. I'll say the same about Bournemouth. Um, but um yeah, it might be the first big test for him. They're, Newcastle are a really physical team, but you know it's it's not anything new. Like the Bundesliga is a big physical league. There's some big mm-hmm. you know Scandinavians and and Eastern European lads in that league that'll just kick the crap out of you for ninety minutes. So I don't think Erling Holland is going to be too um, too worried about it. But yeah, he's certainly getting his his biggest test so far on English soil. Yeah, yeah, there is some. There are some uh, Burley sent halves in the Bundesliga, and I think Dan Byrne would suit a, a move to Hoffenheim or Werder Bremen or Schalke, someone like that. He, he's got that sort of profile. Um, what about City then, John? Because quite unusually, you have to say it's been a blistering start to the season for City. Two wins from two, obviously. Six goals scored, zero conceded. I'm just off the top of my head trying to think of. Is it four different goal scorers in Foden, Gundogan, Haaland, and I can't think of the other one. Um, so, 
Yeah, De Bruyne, of course, that beautiful that beautiful outside of the boot. So the goals, as as has been the case in previous seasons, have been shared about. City are looking well-oiled. We were panicking about the lack of uh, pre-season friendlies. That hasn't made a difference at all. They're looking as strong and as fit as ever, obviously, barring that Community Shield game. Um, how do you expect City to tackle this then? More of the same? Yeah, I expect to see a similar kind of shape of performance that we saw at West Ham, mm. I think. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Newcastle line up in terms of how high their line is going to be because they'll have watched that West Ham game and been like the space in behind for Haaland to run into. If he gets that once, he's probably going to punish you. Mm. Um, And I imagine, yeah, that setup will be very similar. Um, We've got to be careful down the left. Kieran Trippier, I think, is potentially Newcastle's best signing uh, at their new era um you know his delivery is fantastic uh really mm. dangerous from free kicks as well um and you know chips in w- w- with goals so i would expect from city's perspective that we will as i said earlier i wouldn't be surprised if bernardo started um i'm remembering i think it was the the fa cup game during project restart uh when we played at Newcastle mm. and it was a really strange lineup from memory. Um, like I'm, I'm not even sure we played forwards, like let alone number nines. Um, and we were like, what are they doing? And it was, we passed, I've never seen City pass so much as we did in that first half. Uh, and I, I think we could see something similar again in terms of just wanting to control the ball and and absorb any early in Newcastle pressure so that we can get them tired and then hit them on the break in the second half, just as we did with West Ham. Yeah, yeah, I think um, you make a good comparison with West Ham and it's two teams who are sort of at different ends of the spectrum in terms of this because West Ham are just about, the supporters that is, just about finding an identity at that stadium, but it's still quite the place to go. But in terms of St. James's Park, I don't know if any of you caught the the Arsenal game at the back end of last season when when Arsenal were pushing for Champions League and, and St. James's Park was, from the TV anyway, absolutely bouncing. And you feel as if the supporters will be will be after this season. If it's not going to be a trophy, if it's not going to be European football, the one thing they'll want from their team is going to be scalps. And I don't think you could argue with the fact, Adam, that City, the reigning champions, back-to-back Premier League winners, looking to make it three in a row, probably favourites for the Champions League, is is as big a scalp as you can imagine. And I I think if anything's going to get Newcastle something from this game, it's, it's probably going to be those supporters. See, I don't think that's an issue. I, For whatever reason, I get the feeling whenever we go to St. James Park, and granted, I have yet to be there as an away fan, partly because I think I would fucking die going up the steps, um, <laughs> but partly because I live in another country. Um, it doesn't feel <laughs> like we get the biggest of atmospheres when we go to town in, in Newcastle. It seems more like when United or... Um, you know, maybe other other clubs of that ilk, Chelsea and, and Arsenal and, and club Liverpool clubs like that. Um, but I think partly that's partly down to the fact that City's style of play is an atmosphere killing style of play. You know, I think yeah, yeah. At times with Liverpool, because they play and and while it's slowed down in, in recent years, but 
with Liverpool, it seems like their games, the atmosphere of not only Anfield, but when they play away from home is insane. And their style of play really leans into that because there is a lot of chaos and chaos leads to chaos in the crowd Mm. as well. Um, Whereas our very methodical pass the ball around, pass the ball around, pick your, pick your spot, pick your opening. Um, We see it at the Etihad as well. You know, the Etihad can be absolutely silent when city are playing well. And that's because when city are playing well, it's um, I won't call it boring because we all know what happens when you call city style of play boring, but it can kill an atmosphere. And that's, that's a good thing when you play away from home. I think that's why, City tends to have a better record away from home than at home. Um, So I'm not really worried about it. I haven't been worried about City going into an atmosphere for a very, very, very long time other than, we'll say, Anfield because they seem to just have a conniption every single time they go there for whatever reason. Um, But... Yeah, that, that doesn't really worry me that much. I'm sure this will come back to bite me when the atmosphere is absolutely <laughs> electric and City are, are really under the caution the first 10 or 15 minutes and it's it's 1 or 2 nil Newcastle and we get blitzed. But at the moment, that's not what I'm feeling. Well, that's ex- that's exactly what I meant by that. I meant, to, I meant to add on the end of it is that that first 10, 15 minutes with a crowd like that is so crucial because sort of joining the dots together... City have the ability to squash any atmosphere in the world. I mean, the one that that actually I wish we could go back and replay with supporters is the uh, Brushy Dortmund tie in the in the Champions League because I'd love to see how City handle that with a full Signal Aduna Park and just the way in which they operate. But but what I meant by that is is like I said, if City starts slow which uh, even going back to the West Ham game, sometimes have a tendency to do, you know, a couple of chances in the first six, six, seven minutes. One of those goes in, completely different game. The way City, you would feel, uh, and John, I can let you, you can let your, your spectacular prediction come out of the bag here in, in the fact you said your your predicted midfield three could be Gundogan, Rodri and Bernardo is obviously control the ball. Now, if you're sat with, with Guardiola Friday night over some tapas and, and probably a very expensive bottle of red wine, what case are you making to to pep himself to, to play that midfield? And, and where's a certain Kevin De Bruyne in the mix there? So the case I'm making is controllable early um, and then wear the opposition down. And then when the game starts to open up, in the second half, that's when you bring De Bruyne in, okay. um, because that's when the passes through to to Haaland are going to be available. Um, I think it is very tempting to have Kev play every minute of every game because he's like on form. But we do need to remember as well that he has had injuries in the past, and we just need to to manage that and not overwork him when we. When we don't need to, I'm not saying that like we don't need to win on Sunday mm. because we do, but at the same time, he like having having De Bruyne for 65 minutes of every game or 45 minutes of every of, of every game is better than having him for 90 minutes of four games and yeah. then not having him for four games. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's measured. Um, we obviously we're recording this at a time when uh, the press conferences for the week haven't 
took place. So we don't know if there's going to be any more injuries to that list of, of Calvin Phillips and um, Cole Palmer. We'll, we'll wait and see. But but one sort of to wrap up this chat, then Adam, one thing I'm really really interested in seeing is what Cancelo and Walker do because. You said last week that you didn't think City would continue operating in that style with the inverted fullbacks against teams that sit deep, like Bournemouth did. And Shock Horror, of course, Cancelo and Walker did do exactly the same as they'd done against West Ham. But Newcastle are a completely different entity. And there's one man, Alan St. Maximum, in that lineup who could tear City an absolute new one, to put it politely. If such large spaces in between the centre backs and the full backs are there, it it seems on paper that that would be a mistake. But who knows? Do you, do you see City sort of going for this one or Guardiola going for this one? You know what? Conventional full backs stay wide, etc. Or do you think City are just going to continue with the methods that they've set out so far this season? My main worry would be the fact that. I feel with Newcastle, because of Alan St. Maximin and, and some others, that their threat is going to come from out wide. Um, and if they're going to hit City on the break, it's going to be down the touchlines. Um, mm. And if you go back and watch the Bournemouth game, City didn't really look threatened at any point. But when they did, when Bournemouth had little spells of possession or when they broke, the fullbacks didn't get out into wide positions quick enough. And there was times in which... There were Bournemouth players putting crosses into the box from literally on the edge of the box, whereas you'd like that cross to be 10, 15 feet further towards the touchline and have a fullback Mm -hmm. in the way to be able to put in a challenge. But Kyle Walker was still hoofing it back from the center of the park. Um, So if there's a balance, obviously, um, you know, maybe Kyle Walker staying out wide to deal with the the St. Maximum threat and, and Cancelo can, can tuck inside and, and do his thing, then there's a good balance there. Um, but that's my big worry is I don't think Bournemouth posed any sort of threat on the break with the quality that they had. I thought, I thought West Ham would pose a lot more of a threat than they did. Mm. Um, so I think that that would be my, a little bit of a worry, but I think we'll see how it plays out because if city do stick with this two, three, five and they pin Newcastle in, um, then Newcastle might get nothing going forward. And if that's the case, then you can stay more narrow in the central center of midfield and and just control and smother everything. Um, but if in the first 10 or 15 minutes, there's a couple of breaks down the touchline in front of Pep, then um, I think he could possibly pull one of those fullbacks out into a wide position again. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And um that's to come, of course, Sunday afternoon. But I, I think we'll we'll part the the prediction chat now. Then, John, actually, whilst we've got you here, um, just a word on on the on the fantasy draft league, which for I don't, I'm not sure we've spoken about this yet on on this on this season's episodes. But Adam and I, along with a number of other sort of city podcasters, media personalities, etc., in a in an FPL draft league. And um, do you want to tell everybody, John, quite smugly, where you? Could even if you know it all, I don't know if you've checked the table this week. I did actually. I checked the table last night. We were having a conversation after football about uh, the draft and half the people didn't know it existed. Um, I'm not sure how, what that says about the Premier League's kind of <laughs> marketing. But uh, yeah, currently currently top of the tree, which is more than I can say for uh, my non-draft leagues. So clearly, um, luck is better than my judgment. So uh, mm. it's a... Uh, 
there's a long way to go. Uh, I've got Joel Linton in there, so uh, oh hopefully he gets zero points this weekend. <laughs> yeah, or a minus with an own goal. Um, yeah, just looking at the table now, uh, I'm currently sat in third, uh, a strong eight points ahead of Carves Out Jackies, which is is your team, Adam. Um, how have you sort of had? Because you have very strong opinions on FPL, and and they differ from budget league to draft league, of course. And how's your sort of start to FPL life gone so far this season? Funnily enough, I couldn't care less about the budget league, and it's where I'm doing the best. Um, <laughs> I, I am in three three draft leagues. I'm in one with you, two with you, Amos, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah One which is a is a group of friends. One which is um, a group of us city podcasters, uh, and then one is a separate group of friends here in the U.S. Um, the U.S. group I'm on top of, which makes sense because it's all Americans. Um, <laughs> but the one with friends, which has a bit more of, of an English uh, influence, I'm at the bottom of despite winning it last season. So I talked a lot of shit leading into it this year because I won it last year and I am uh, sat firmly at the bottom. So off to a rough start there, but uh, it's only week three. So, yeah. But remind us in the one with friends, that includes me, um, who's top of it? Uh, you are. Uh, you're only ahead. Yeah. You're only ahead of my girlfriend by two points. So, yeah, yeah. But a good really? forty, a good forty ahead of you. Adam's bottom, John. You'll be glad to hear he's bottom. Well, of I was going to say league. it's clearly, clearly an inferior league. If if you're top, Amos, that's that the the absolute disrespect. I think it's probably more down to the fact that I had I had second draft pick, which uh, which which really helped me out in in getting Salah and and some some essential draft players. Um, Right, any other housekeeping then? Uh, City's women's team, obviously they return to action tomorrow night or probably the day of recording. They're against um, a team called, now John, see if you have any clue of where this team's from, Tomaris Turan. Tomaris Turan. Um, Romania? Close, Kazakhstan. Um, so I have no idea anything about that club, what they stand for, any players who who play for them. But in a game recently, they won 10-0. So um, that should be a, a difficult challenge. I think I'm right in saying it's on City Plus to watch it. Um, so any subscribers will be able to do that. But... Um, other than that, John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for making your debut. It's been it's been great to have you here, and uh, the door's always open for a return anytime you wish. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, lads. It's an absolute pleasure. And Adam, we'll be back after the Newcastle game, uh, reviewing that. We'll also have a, a quick chat about City's Women's Champions League qualifier against the, the Kazakhstanis, Tomaris Turan. But other than that, any other business for you to throw in at the end? Uh, I've got news to break to you. We won't be back after the Newcastle game because I will be backpacking and climbing a mountain. So, oh wow! <laughs> I'm breaking breaking this this breaking news, news line. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's some transfer exclusive. Uh, I'll have to call in the ringers again. Um, but but where, where are you off backpacking? Do you know? My dad is is flying over from Colorado, and we're doing some backpacking at Mount Hood, which is uh, about an hour from me. So it's, I think you and I had a discussion about this recently. I think it's about yeah, four yeah. times higher than the highest point in all of England. Yeah, yeah. Is that more American exceptionalism coming from from Mister Booker? I yeah. see. Yeah. Um, well, enjoy your your backpacking. Try and uh, don't get eaten by a grizzly bear or something like that. I don't even no, know. If the no grizzlies here. We're not far oh, okay. enough north, but black bears and wolves. 
Right, okay, right, okay. Well, it's Newcastle this weekend. Wolves is in a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> guys, it's been it's been a pleasure. Um, until next time, of course, if you do here, hit subscribe, follow, etc. all that lovely business. Tell your mum, your dad, grandparents, whoever you want. Get more ears on this podcast and we'll have some superb stuff on the way. Um, until next time, I've been Amos Murphy. I've been joined by Adam Booker and John Ashley. We'll see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.